Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Firstly, a quick announcement. I get a lot of people contacting me asking how they can work with me. So this is a little plug to let you know that I offer a range of services to vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs. From online training and group coaching to PR, content creation and copywriting services and one-on-one tailored individual private consultations. So if you're wanting help to promote or grow your vegan business, brand, product, service, book or other creative project, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com and click on the Work With Me menu link for more details. Now for the main part of the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Vegan Business Talk. I'm your host, Katrina Fox, and my guest today is Stephanie Downs. Stephanie is the co-founder of the Material Innovation Initiative, a nonprofit focused on accelerating the availability of sustainable and cruelty-free alternatives to leather, wool, fur, down, silk, and exotic skins. (laughs) She's a serial entrepreneur with over 20 years' experience founding businesses and consulting on corporate social responsibility in vegan materials. Stephanie started her first company back in 1999. It was an internet marketing firm, which she sold in 2014. In 2016, she co-founded and was the CEO of Good Dot, which quickly grew to be the largest plant-based meat company in India. For almost 15 years, Stephanie has consulted for animal welfare groups on corporate outreach, working with companies such as Tesla, Dwayne Reed, Porsche, Ralph Lauren and others to decrease their impact on animals. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Katrina. Excited to be here. I'm so excited for you to be here as well. I'm really, so as we were talking before, I'm really excited about the work that you're doing with Nicole on the Material Innovation Initiative. I think it's so necessary and important and I think the timing is perfect. So tell us about it. Uh, Just in a, a bit of a nutshell, what is it? What exactly is it? And what do you do? Sure. Yeah. As you, as you mentioned a little bit, so Material Innovation Initiative is a nonprofit and our focus is to accelerate the development of sustainable alternatives to animal materials. And when we talk about animal materials, what we're referring to is alternatives to leather, wool, fur, silk, down, and exotic skins are the six primary ways that animals are used. And they're, they're mainly in, in materials. And that mainly is, in, is seen across the fashion industry, automotive, and home goods is where most of those materials are used. And so our focus is, you can think of us as an industry builder or kind of the, the hub that's getting getting a lot of this off the ground. So we're, we're kind of the go-to for industry, for brands, you know, such as large fashion brands or automotive. Um, 
Um, we also work with scientists and the startups and business incubators and investors and just kind of bringing everybody together. And, and for a lot of your listeners, I would imagine most of them know who the Good Food Institute is. And so um, that's where the, the idea really came from, um, because I personally was impacted by the Good Food Institute. They were they they planted the seed that eventually became Good Dot. And, um, and Nicole worked at the Good Food Institute. So we really saw the power of, of an organization that kind of builds an industry and brings everybody together to leverage each other skills and 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 grow together I love that I think that's so important and yeah it's like I think you referred to MMI as the GFI of the material right. world which is yep. fantastic and I, I love it I think you know GFI have obviously done great stuff in the food space and so it's really exciting to see what what you're doing um, in this space so for a lot of our, our audience who are vegan business owners and entrepreneurs what kind of benefits or how do you either work or see yourselves sure. working with vegan business owners, vegan brands that are maybe working in some way in the material space, whether that's in fashion or other ways. Right, right. Well, first of all, let me kind of explain to people, there's really, when you, when you think about vegan entrepreneurs in this space, we're really kind of looking at two different types. So we've got the vegan brands, like you're referring to, that might be making handbags or, you know, like Gunas is, is one of my favorites. You know, yeah, oh yeah, I love, yeah. Hello, Sigand. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> She's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, she could be having her baby right about now or something. Maybe maybe oh. he or she is arrived, but uh, but yeah, but the, you know that's a, a brand where um, you know or in that you know of course there could be vegan home goods and vegan like Buffy is one I really like that does comforters. So that's you know that that's kind of a brand, and then we've also got the material the vegan material companies as it is a bit different in materials versus the food space and food um, more commonly you'll you'll make the food and then you sell it under your brand like for example Beyond Meat or Impossible um, you'll see some white labeling on that side, but you can think of it a little bit more like a lot of the material companies are somewhat white labeling, you know, or, or selling it onto a brand that then sells it. So um, as far as how we could work with those different groups, you know, Material Innovation Initiative is very focused on getting more innovation and entrepreneurs going around the materials to create alternatives to these animal, animal products. Um, but then as it also, you know, as far as how we can help both the brands and the material companies, it depends a little bit on where they're at in their life cycle. So for example, if it's somebody that's a scientist um, that maybe, you know, has an idea, um, we might, we might, you know, refer them to one of the incubators in the space that we have connections with because they might need the kind of help where they need to maybe connect with a co-founder or a business co-founder, or they just need some guidance to get off the ground. Whereas we might have somebody's maybe already at the prototype phase where they've already, they're a little farther down the road. Um, it might be right to go ahead and put them in touch with some investors or some brands. So we have a large network of, of brands that we work with around, around the globe from H&M to Gap to Prada to, you know, we work with lots of different, different brands that if they're, you know, so if they're farther along and they're, you know, they've got um, some, some materials that they've already developed, then we can, we can put them in touch. So it really just depends on what they need. We kind of assess it on a case by case basis. I love that. I think that's fantastic. So I think that's, that can be one of the tricky things, or it certainly has been in the past, maybe not so much nowadays, because some of the corporates like the big brands that you mentioned are now right. far right. more open to these kind of materials instead of like, dismissing them. But I think that's really fantastic, because it can be quite difficult, I think, for, for, for vegan brands to get in front of those guys, like, who do I talk to, you know, sourcing right. the right person. So I think that's fantastic <laughs> that you're um, developing, um, yeah, these relationships with uh, the corporates as well. That's fantastic. So for vegan business owners, say they've either already started a brand and or they're thinking, as you say, thinking of doing that. Um, and I know we were talking about this before. What are some of the ways they can stand apart? And I guess maybe in terms of even the materials used, because mm -hmm. as we were talking about, lots of vegan leathers now, which is amazing, you know, from right. cactus and... <laughs> 
from apples, you know, or pineapples and all these kind of amazing materials. But I think it's important as well for innovation or there's, I guess, gaps in the market where people can come into in other areas. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, sustainability is is all the rage right now in, in fashion for sure. And as, as these vegan brands, I mean, as these smaller vegan brands, they're fortunate in that they're not going to demand the volumes that some of these bigger global brands are going to. And for a lot of the material companies that are, um, you know, getting off the ground, the thought, you know, really being able to go from zero to 60 overnight is, is not an easy task as far as scaling and being able to provide just the bandwidth of that type of volume. So, you know, by with some of these smaller brands, I think they can continue to stay more ahead of the curve by, um, by being the first to use the apple leather or the cactus leather. Because if you, you know, you just use that, they can buy it in much smaller quantities, which is really works well with the material producers because they're not quite ready for those big brands. So I think they'll continue to be that really great um, opportunity for the vegan brands to be the first to market with those things. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It's interesting because touching on that, when you mentioned about, you know, the smaller um, uh, quantities, I guess also there's on the other side of that, I hear and I hear this a lot from vegan brands, I'm sure you do as well, in that those that really kind of want to be as ethical as possible, so completely animal free, (laughs) sustainable as possible, and of course, uh, you know, no exploitation of people you know so human right. rights animal rights on the planet they then have to price their goods higher which is I right. know is totally backwards and it shouldn't be that way but then their goods like you know whether it's shoes or clothes or whatever then they kind of end up being in the so-called luxury um, right. bracket and not affordable to the mainstream what are your thoughts on how how they can overcome that. I mean, maybe it's not just not possible right now, but what yeah. are your thoughts on how that's going to look as we progress? Sure. I think kind of two thoughts. Um, one, I think I would encourage them to not let perfect get in the way of progress. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that it, you know, it can be hard to solve all the world's problems in one handbag. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, so we also unless have... it's got unless it's a glittery handbag. So I mean obviously so, we want to yeah. be as perfect and you know as environmentally friendly and eco-friendly and labor friendly, you know, all of that as we possibly can. But at the same time, you know, every inch that we move forward, we're we're making the world a better place and we're you know, we're leading by example for people. So uh, you know, that'd be one thought is don't don't put too much pressure on themselves to make everything be you know baby step into it I guess and also look at maybe certain things on the item um, that they can do more economically that to help with some of some of the cause Um, but I you know but at the same time I think that if you're going to be a smaller brand um, you know being in that kind of niche a little bit more exclusive luxury category isn't necessarily a bad thing you know because um, because you're you are you know, that can be part of the way that they build their reputation, you know, that that's, that's their brand, like, like Gunas has done, you know, is one or Mink Shoes is another one that, that I really love. Um, and uh, in full disclosure, I'm an investor in Mink Shoes. So I should just put that out oh, there. Oh, also, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I did an article yeah. for her on Forbes, and I went to meet her and she had all her glittery shit. Yeah, that's why I love I Mink, because she does all the sparkly ones. I'm like, yeah, her, her personality is so, so yeah. I, I just love her to that. But you know, that kind of thing. So I think that, um, 
I think that that's kind of a niche, you know, kind of a role that the vegan brands are playing is because, you know, as a, as, as human nature, um, we're, we're always shooting for the aspirational, right? Like, you know, we, everybody, you know, we go out and buy a thousand dollar iPhone or whatever. So I think the vegan brands, they're, they're kind of up here and continuing to make it a bit more aspirational. Those are unique designs with these new unique materials. So I would say continue to play in that category. Don't try to come down to the gap level. Um, you know, let it, let it go down market. So, uh, so, you know, I I don't have a great answer for that if they, you know, if they want, you know, so, but, um, as far as how they could bring the cost down, but other than to encourage them to maybe continue, continue to just build their brand at that higher level. Yeah. And it's interesting. I know there's someone in a friend of mine, actually, Justin, who runs Vegan Style um, here yeah. in Australia, which is vegan shoes, and they've uh, like vegan shoes and boots, etc. And they have like payment plans. So, you know, yeah. if someone wants to buy like a $200, $300 pair of boots, they can kind of pay it off over time, yeah. which I think is an interesting okay. model. But yeah, thank you yeah, for, yeah. for sharing yeah. that. So in the food space, we've seen um, a lot of the big corporates coming in and either investing in a vegan brand, like we saw with Tyson and Beyond Meat, mm-hmm. um, or they will buy the vegan brand um i'm curious do you see that happening down the track it with like vegan fashion companies or you know the vegan companies that use materials or textiles um so most certainly on the side of the companies that are making the material innovations i foresee those getting swept up pretty easily i think that's going to be you know i would say right now the vegan because i went through the kind of, you know, I, I started into this this category in, in 2016 when I started Good Dot, you know, so I really, you know, I was very fortunate in that I kind of got in early and I saw that big shift of, um, of all that demand that we're seeing now, which is just, just incredible. And so really, I would say, you know, right, the reason we started the Material Innovation Initiative, when we looked at it, uh, looked at the industry, this industry, as far as the materials is, is really in the exact same place that I would say the vegan food space was back in 2015. So I think, we're just going to see an incredible amount of interest in acquiring companies. And we're, we're already seeing some of the major brands invest in material companies like Ralph Lauren recently invested in a vegan leather company called Natural Fiber Welding. Um, Stella McCartney, Adidas and Lululemon all um, have, have joined forces and invested in Bolt Threads. And so, you know, we're already starting to see some of that coming more from directly from the brands, not so much from like the leather industry and stuff, which would be more of the Tysons in that world, right? If we had to make the correlation. So on the material side, material innovators, I think we're going to see huge interest and lots of acquisitions over there. On the vegan fashion brands, um, I think we'll see less, mainly just because, not because of of anything um, as far as the vegan aspect, it's just more that fashion brands aren't bought up as much as the materials are. And, you know, the main, you know, like, for example, there's two major fashion, major, major fashion houses, which are LVMH that has Louis Vuitton and, and like, I think they have like over 200 different other brands and then um, caring, which owns Gucci. And, you know, so, and I think caring has about 40 brands. So those are the, those are the two major fashion houses. Um, and then from there, there's smaller fashion houses. So it's the, the fashion houses, which who would do the acquisition of the vegan brands. There's just not as many players as you would see in the food space. Um, okay. And so, but, um, but yeah, so I think we'll see maybe a little bit of that. Uh, but on the material side, un- undoubtedly, we're going to see that that go like wildfire. Uh, but um, the only the only kind of the only vegan brand I know at this point that has been bought with Stella McCartney's brand was was purchased. Um, right. years ago. So, you know, so I, I don't think we'll see it as much as in that space. But who knows? I mean, the world has a way of and industries have a way of changing and evolving. And, um, you know, definitely if the brands have built a good following and a strong customer base 
space, um, you know, that that will make a big difference. Yeah, I think there's some um, incubators happening. Like I know, so for example, like some corporates in the food, again in the food space are doing incubators where they're not even necessarily buying equity, but they're holding incubators. They're providing support, you know, in regards to distribution advice and everything. And then in return, they get to kind of see what the startups are doing because obviously startups are a lot more innovative and nimble. Are you seeing right. any of that in this particular space, Stephanie? Yeah, as far as like business incubators for this. Industry, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the bigger, the most well-known one is probably fashion for good and they're they're out of amsterdam and they're, they do amazing work and um and then h&m um the global change awards they also hold an incubator okay. um so we are seeing some that are specific to the fashion industry which is which is really important from the standpoint that the fashion industry is its own monster as far as just the way that they do things and the supply chains and you know there's just a lot to learn around the material testing and so on um that that brands really ha- or i'm sorry innovators really have to be prepared for but what we've also been doing is, as far as material innovation initiative is talking with various incubators that are already working in the food space and, you know, about like, like Entrepreneur First is one, um, you know, other ones like Indie Bio and such, you know, because they're already, they've done stuff in food and there's just such a natural transition into materials. Um, it's so complimentary. Brilliant, brilliant, exciting times. I love that. Um, now, so you worked with Good Dot, uh, mm-hmm. grew it to be, you know, big plant-based um, meat company in India. Now, obviously, India is a place where a lot of leather is made. Right. I'm curious, and I know you touched on this about the, the industry. I'm curious what the the reaction is of these industries, whether it's the leather industry and the other, you know, animal-based industries, to either material innovation initiative or even the the more of the take up of vegan animal free products and goods because you know like with the meat industry you've got like the Tysons who are being really innovative and just getting in on there and saying yeah sure we're now a protein company rather than a meat company then you've got you know the I don't know the beef and cattle like bodies kind of going no 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 you can't call that you know this so what are we seeing in uh, any correlation what are we seeing in the the textile material industry you know I I think it's uh it's it's similar to food in that, you know, we're seeing some that are really receptive to it and excited about it. And then others who just say some some really funny things. I actually have a funny story. I'd reached out to a guy who was a tanning expert because we were needing a consultant on something. And I was talking to him about, you know, people are looking at growing, you know, growing leather in a lab and doing different things. And he replies to me, Leather grown in the lab is not leather. It would be against my <laughs> it would be against my ethics to work on such a thing. And I was like, Oh and no. It took, it took everything in me not to reply to that. But you know, <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> well done. So um, but I was like, okay, I respect your opinion, you know. So but you know, I think in general, you know, however it is, you know, first people they fight us and then they accept it, or you know, whatever I forget what that quote is around. I remember now, but, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. So I think yeah. that I think it will come. And you know, from people I've talked to with a good food. Institute that did a lot of the corporate outreach. You know, I, I remember so much them telling me a story that, you know, almost all the big meat players that they would meet with on an exec, you know, high executive level would all say, we don't want to be Kodak. Right. And, um, yes. you know, now, of course, Kodak has t- recently taken a very interesting turn back back into to popularity. But, you know, there was a time when, you know, Kodak had really lost its opportunity in, in the space. And um, I think we're going to see the same from the leather companies. I think they're going to start to see the writings on the wall. And, you know, the environmental impact around tanning is mm-hmm. so substantial um, that that's that's really, you know, going to be a problem. That is a problem for the fashion industry and the automotive industry. I don't know if you saw it today. Mini Cooper has come out that they're going all leather free um nice you know, 
So, you know, so it's the tides are turning. And, you know, I think as far as our, you know, material innovation initiative for the us as an industry, what our responsibility is to, to extend our hand to these industries and talk to them about how this is the next evolution. We're not here to judge, you know, we're here to work together. Um, you, you, you know, you, and, and, and because really they know so much about whether it's tanning or wool or for, you know, if we can, if we can not fight these industries and instead enable them to transition, I think it can be a win-win. Absolutely. And again, we're starting to see that in the food space. And I think that's really important to kind of say, because a lot of people come back with, but what about our jobs, you know, particularly in in countries outside of the West? And it's like, okay, well, how can we find something to replace that that's not going to make the workers sick from the toxicity of the tanning, not going to trash the environment? Because I think a lot of people don't even realise, they kind of think that, oh, leather is more environmentally friendly than, say, the cheap vegan plastics. And okay, they might not not necessarily both be ideal, but, you know, I think it's important to kind of counter that. Maybe that's something that vegan brands can do to kind of, you know, educate the public on that, that this is a bonus for buying our our products. So exactly, yeah. exactly. Brilliant. Now, with Material Innovation Initiative, you have got a partner, Nicole, who <laughs> I did a written interview with on the Vegan Women's Leadership oh, Network website, which we can link to um, in the show notes for this episode. Um, but tell me a little bit about why you decided to do it with somebody else. Why, Nicole? How does the relationship kind of work? What's the benefit of, of doing it with someone else? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so a little bit of background on how, how this came to be. So after I um, sold my ownership in, in Good Dot, um, then I was uh, kind of kind of in, in a transition and I had a backer um, reach out to me and who wants to remain anonymous. Um, but they reached out to me and said, hey, if, um, if we, we gave you some of the funds, would you start, I, I, exact words, the GFI for vegan materials? And so, and, um, and I was like, well, that because I'd also, I'd, as you said in my bio, I'd spent a lot of time working with brands, doing work for animal welfare groups, kind of, you know, going out and talking to brands about alternatives. So I knew from my personal experience that there was a huge gap in what um, these, these fashion brands were we're really looking for these materials and there just wasn't enough innovation. And so I felt very much like, Oh, this is that, that's is a really great idea because these, you know, the amount of innovation in this space is where the food space was in 2015. So as I stepped back and did a complete analysis of it, I thought we there's something here, like we should do this. And of course I reached out to Bruce and, and talked with him and Chris Kerr and a bunch of other advisors and just kind of really, um, thought through the idea. And, uh, but I also knew in my, you know, this was going to be a nonprofit organization and I've not, I have not ran a non nonprofit. My background is more on the for-profit entrepreneur side. And um, it was kind of funny. I was working on a job description for the executive director of the organization, um, knowing that I wanted to find, you know, find somebody to partner with on that. When Nicole texted me and said that she was, um, you know, going, going to be making a transition. So because um, so, Nicole used to run all the progr- the international programs for the Good Food Institute. And it was very serendipitous. And uh, so her and I got to talking and and she decided to join me on this. And um, so she's, she's came on as the executive director. I'm I'm the board chairman and and donate you know a lot of my time and but she's she's the driving force after we got it off the ground together. Wow. So <laughs> you're quite big. I noticed like throughout your career, and as you mentioned, you're quite big on partnerships and yeah. teaming up. You got any tips for anyone who <laughs> considering maybe going into business together? Because I've heard some horror stories, I'm sure we all have, but yes. then you've heard, you know, really great, successful partnerships. So any kind of little tips on, you know, does anyone deciding, you know, whether to either bring somebody on or to start something together? 
Sure, sure. Yes, because I've uh, I've had good partnerships and I've had nightmare partnerships, so <laughs> I can I can so relate. Uh, I think my main um, my main thought would be don't rush into something. I think that you know as when somebody has an idea, because I, I know because I've been in this situation, um, you know I think they start to feel a little bit of of a panic, almost like they need to fill the gaps that aren't, because they don't, you know, especially if somebody's starting without funding, right? They, they maybe need to spill, fill the gaps in their expertise at a, at, you know, without it costing a lot of money. So they're kind of looking for that person. Um, but, you know, people need to stop and think about really going to business. Somebody is just like getting married to that person. Like you were, <laughs> if, if not even more complicated than a marriage, I, I can say, you know, um, cause I've been married. And so, you know, you're, really, you're, you're going into a marriage and you need to, you need to stop and think about it. And it's always kind of funny to me. Sometimes I'll meet people and I've done it myself. So I'm guilty of it too. You know, who met somebody like last month and then they're like, we're going into business together, you know? So, um, so and, uh, but, and, and also I would, you know, investors and incubators also really push people to make sure you have co-founders and stuff. And I, I mean, I can understand from the standpoint, it is good to have that person to lean on because I've done companies by myself. I've done them with partners and it is good to have that, but, but not if it's the wrong partnership, if it's the wrong partnership, it can be worse than doing it on your own. So, you know, really take, take, take your time. And then my, my second point of advice would be have really good agreements. Um, you know, get, get your prenup done up front. you know, so like, no, you know, get it all laid out. What's going to happen if anybody leaves is, you know, those, those types of things think, make sure people, People are investing in over their ownership over time um, so that people are incented to stay and, um, you know, just be prepared for worst case, um, just just in case it happens. Make sure everybody's covered. Brilliant. No, I love that. It's really, really important. Um, when you say, um, you know, take your time, what do you look for in a business part? Like, how do you know? Because I've heard like of some situation where people were really good friends and then they started working in the company mm -hmm. and one person ended up doing loads of the work and the right. other person didn't. So anything particularly to look out for in a business partner? Yeah, I mean, hmm. I mean, definitely you want complementary skills. So, you know, no use, you know, for the most part, well, first of all, don't go into business with friends. I mean, that's just a recipe for not being friends anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, pick people who aren't necessarily, you know, or do they have a skill that's complementary to you? You know, like, for, for example, with Nicole and I, I'd been an entrepreneur. I'd worked in the material space for a while. However, she had, you know, grown all, you know, she she had grown all of GFI's international programs. She knew how to work with donors. And, you know, it's funny, nonprofit work is so, you know, working with donors and volunteers and all that so different than working with investors. And, you know, it's just, it's a whole different. So, you know, Nicole had a complementary skill that I didn't have, yeah. but I, I could bring to play you know, like knowing what it's like to be the entrepreneur, knowing how to raise money or, you know, knowing what the brands needed. So I'd say look for somebody who has that complementary skill. And then if, if at all possible, you know, work together for a couple months, you know, have, have you know, who's going to do what and also over communicate, you can't communicate too much, you know, and, you know, almost, um, you know, you need to, to tell each other how if something's bothering you, you need to talk about it, don't let it fester, you know, really, and also say, you're going to do this, you're how much time are you going to put in what equity you're going to get just get those convocations out of the out, out up front um, to help you know to help you know it not become a problem later 
I love it. That's such good advice. That's wonderful. Now, I noticed you also that you describe yourself and you are a serial entrepreneur. Now, I know there's two kind of camps. There's some vegan business owners are going to be watching or listening to this going, oh, it takes all my energy to run one business, never mind anything else. But then there's others that say, I think Marie Forleo calls it multi-passionate entrepreneurs. And, you know, they want to kind of, you know, have their, you know, fingers in, in different pies. So you're a serial entrepreneur. What does that mean to you? And what made you choose that path? Uh, well, to me, it just means that you've chosen to torture yourself more than once. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you know, I, my my word of advice would be definitely be be a, as far as a serial entrepreneur, like don't do more than one business at a time. I, I can tell you from personal experience, oh, okay. I have made that mistake because you know the thing is, if you if you're and I you know I think it's hard as entrepreneurs. We're entrepreneurs kind of because we have an idea. You know, we have lots of ideas like going around in our head, and so you know it can be easy to to be like, ooh, over here, over here. And, uh, but, you know, if you're doing multiple things, you're not going to be doing any of them great. And, you know, you'll be doing all of them okay, but um, you really need to, to focus on, on what you're doing. And especially if you're going to be maybe bringing, if you're going to be trying to pitch investors and stuff, they're not going to want you to have multiple things that are on your plate. So for me, an, a serial entrepreneur is, is someone who, you know, I've, you know, I, I had my first business, I built it and, and sold it. And then a second, you know, good dot sold that. You know, so to me, serial is more you've done it multiple times, you know, you've done done it more more than once. Um, and I don't think I don't think it's necessarily a good thing to be a serial entrepreneur. I think, you know, um, you know, for example, like Jeff Bezos, right? Like he started Amazon 30 years ago. You know, I think if you can stay the course, if you find your passion, for me, it took a little while to find the right journey. You know, my first, my marketing agency, um, you know, it was, it was a way that I made money and, you know, did, you know, built something, but it wasn't, it didn't light me on fire. Like while I was doing it, I was still kind of, and that's how I ended up doing the um, consulting for animal welfare groups, doing corporate negotiations, because I was looking for, for my happy place. And, you know, and, and then I finally found it when I started doing a social enterprise that brought together the non, you know, the, the making yeah. the world a better place with profit. And, you know, that's just, that was kind of my, my spot. And so I'd say, you know, if you find Find your passion, stick with it. Um, you know, there's no reason to do multiple companies, but if you're doing something that's not quite, you know, make sure you get on your right path. Um, that's what ma- matters most. Yeah, nice. Just touching on the internet marketing, because you you had that company for what 15 years. So yeah. you've obviously seen a lot of changes from 1999, which was when the internet was only kind of, you know, really still in its infancy through till now with all the, or till 2014, at least with the social media. And obviously you've seen what's going on now. I'm just curious, just going to tap into your that experience. <laughs> what tips have you got like for how, because obviously visibility is important now and everybody's jumping on the vegan bandwagon kind of thing. Um, what are any tips you can advise on vegan business owners who, who just want to be seen, you know, to raise their brand awareness. Right, right. Well, I mean, obviously, social media now is all the rage. And it's funny, you know, back in 1999, when I started the, the, the internet marketing company, internet marketing wasn't even a thing. So we were, we were a little bit ahead of the curve, we were doing things like you might have heard of them, like pay per click and search engine yeah, optimization, yeah, yeah. before those terms even existed. And, um, and so, you know, we, you know, definitely, I, I got in at a, at a good time. Um, so, you know, I think the most important thing is always kind of be with internet marketing marketing is look at what's coming next. Um, So, you know, when, you know, first it was, 
you know, search engine marketing, then, it, then, then social, you know, Facebook was kind of the thing, then Instagram, Snapchat, you know, there's always kind of that new, new up and comer. And, and, the, you know, so that's, I think, a good thing to look at versus, you know, wherever the expensive channels are, because a lot of these companies also are going to be dealing with smaller dollar volumes. So, you know, kind of look at what are the new up and coming apps that people are using. But what's most important of all of that is where is your target audience at? Right. So if your target audience isn't on this new app or, you know, if your target audience isn't Gen Z or, you know, whatever, whatever generation you're targeting, then, you know, don't don't go there. So if you're, you know, for example, if they're trying to, um, you know, attract people who are maybe women in their 50s to 60s or, you know, something you need to think about, where are those people at? You know, what what is what's going to get their interest? Um, Internet marketing is wonderful from the standpoint. I used to call other types of marketing pay and pray advertising where you'd you'd place an ad or you do something. You just hope for the best. And with Internet marketing, you can actually, you know, target, you can pay for the clicks, you can pay for the impressions. Um, It can be much more, you know, much more pay for results if you do it right. Yeah, got it. That's similar. When you, that made me smile when you say that because I, cause my background's journalism and we have a thing like if you're doing, if someone's doing PR, you know, you can pitch to the right media at the right, right time or you can do what we call spray and pray. So right. it's interesting <laughs> you called it pay and play. In media, it's spray and pray. So it's interesting. That's no, that's really great advice. So in regards to Material Innovation Institute, um, uh, in, initiative, Ooh. sorry, we wanted to call it okay, Institute, it it's not Material Innovation <laughs> Initiative. Um, what, what, can, tell us some of your wins. Like you've not been going that long. You only really kind of launched officially in 2020 and you've really kind of, you know, come out of the gate very, very strong. But what are some of the wins that you've had or some of the, the successes? that you can Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the biggest win was just getting an organization off the ground during COVID. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that was uh, that was pretty, pretty impressive. Um, and, and also, I mean, Nicole has just, you know, just some of the, the funding that we've secured from, you know, Open Phil and, you know, just various different all the, you know, Stray Dog and, and Vegin invest and veg you know a lot of the different groups have really stepped up and 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 got behind um, the initiative which has been wonderful so so really just I think getting it off the ground building the team we've also built just the most amazing network of advisors and stuff which you know we're very fortunate because Nicole and I you know come from the space that a lot of people got really excited about about what we're doing um, we have at this point probably had um, you know, either in person or Zoom meetings with probably 60 um, major global brands um, oh, that wow. immediately um, responded to, to having conversations about what we're doing that are super connected. Um, so and then we also have and we can't talk about it because um, we, we've signed some NDAs, but we also have some of the global brands have come on as sponsors. Um, oh, of, nice. of the organization. So, so now yeah, mainly just, you know, kind of getting off the ground, forming the team and, um, you know, starting to make those connections and build the network um, has really been great. We also next month, we have a conference coming up. Um, that's going to be um, the first kind of next gen materials conference that I think it's, I apologize, Nicole's going to kill me for not remembering, but it's sometime <laughs> in March. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's, that's coming up and just starting to get the message out to people more. Oh, wow. That's amazing. You've achieved so much in such a short space of time. And it's so heartening to hear that the global brands are interested in coming on board. I think that's uh, terrific. So what about the future then? Just to wrap up, what's, you know, in, and I know it's difficult to, for anyone to predict anything at the moment because it's so much uncertainty. But what are your kind of plans or vision both for yourself and for MII? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for MII, it's really about, you know, getting the message out more and getting more material startups going that that are working on these alternatives. And, and I, you know, I think as far as the future, I think in the next five years, we're just going to see an explosion in this. I mean, we're in a unique space in, in or unique opportunity in that, um, you know, I, you know, I always refer it back to, you know, imagine when the, when GFI or in 2015, if, if all the restaurants and grocery stores around the world were saying, we're desperately looking for more plant-based meat, <laughs> um, you know, like we, and, but it, but they weren't, it had, it took some time to get to that. But when the fashion industry, like we're there, like all these global mm. brands are aggressive. I mean, from, from top luxury brands down to, you know, the mainstream, you know, fast fashion, they're all looking for material innovations. And so the opportunity here for entrepreneurs is just unbelievable. And um, so I think that's what we're going to see over the next five years. I think we're going to see a lot of innovation coming into the marketplace to fill that demand coming from these brands. And I think we're going to, you know, just going to kind of see it explode and hopefully we can help light that fire. I love that. Well, I personally, and I say this every time, whenever I get an opportunity, I'll say it again, I want to see more uh, eco-friendly glitter and sequins <laughs> and sparkles because it's sorely missing from vegan fashion. <laughs> I'm so cheeky. I always get that thing. So I'm just going to plant that into you I, and Nicole. That's your task. Keep an eye out for that. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's funny. Like, if anything material happens, I have like just hundreds of people who will shoot me. Hey, look at this. Have you seen this? Have you seen that? And I, I think in the last, I'd say six months, I've probably had two or three different vegan glitter companies that have been sent to me um oh, that, one, oh. one that might have been making something out of algae i'd have to look back but um oh, and i poured them on pink shoes because i know rebecca is always looking for more glitter oh, so. please keep me posted anything about that that i can share and i will happily test them <laughs> I'm a total sparkle queen. Brilliant. Oh, look, this has been wonderful, Stephanie. I think it's amazing what you're doing. I noticed that David Benzaquin was tuning in and he said, two of my favorite people. So glad you're championing (laughs) the growth of our movement and the cause of all these forgotten voices in the skins industry. I think that's so important. I'm really, really excited about what you're doing. And as you say, plenty of opportunities. So for people watching and listening, do check out the Material Innovation Initiative. Materialinnovation.org is the website. Um, Get in touch with Stephanie and Nicole and uh, let's really kind of see this sector grow. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Katrina. It's a pleasure to be here. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Thank you. Bye, everyone. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. If you like the show, please give it a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, as it helps to get it seen by more people. There are more free resources on the veganbusinessmedia.com website to help you in your quest to build and sustain a successful business. And if you'd like to work with me personally on promoting and growing your vegan business or brand, you'll find details on how to do this on the website at veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the Work With Me menu link. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.